0: Uh, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 11, if you will. We're uh, uh, using these uh, Wednesday night services as a faith seminar. We're talking about the subject of faith, and we're just kind of taking our time and and turning over every rock and and, um, looking at the principles of faith and what the Bible says about it. And so we want to um, continue along the same lines that we were teaching last uh, Wednesday evening. Let's uh, start in Mark chapter 11. The, uh, the story begins in uh, verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, t- speaking of Jesus, and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but figs, for the time of figs was not yet. Uh, that's a little blind from the King James translation in that part of the world even today. Uh, fig trees produce fruit and leaves at the same time. So uh, even though the translators may not have much uh, understanding of how things worked back then, uh, when Jesus saw the leaves on the tree, that would be a signal that there should be fruit. However, he gets to the tree, and there is no fruit. It's only leaves. And so Jesus answered and said unto it. I like the fact that Jesus answered the problems that he was confronted with. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Verse 20, And in the morning, as they passed by, they came back by there again the next day. They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Now, I've said this before, and, and uh, I think it bears repetition, uh, bears repeating at least. Um, there is no question here. Jesus is not ask, answering a question, although there is one implied. Peter seems to be saying, How'd this happen? Now, one of the things that, uh, that occurs to me in this, and, and um, uh, um, quite frankly, I think it, it bears taking notice of, is how don't they know They've been with Jesus for three years. They've seen him do signs and wonders and miracles. They've seen him multiply the loaves and the fishes. They've seen him walk on the water. They've seen him turn the water into wine. They've watched him do miracle after miracle after miracle. How do they not know? There must be something that they missed along the way in my thinking. Because this is not the first time that Jesus has used faith. It's not the first time that he's spoken to something and and it occurred. There must have been a lesson, a life lesson that they've missed... Along the way, this has nothing to do with them trying to identify that Jesus is the Christ. Because Jesus' explanation of what happened and how has nothing to do with who he is. He says, gives a principle that works for anybody. So this is not a matter of them not believing that he's the Christ. So I want to know, how is it that they've walked with him for, for three years? Uh, this is the last week of, this, uh, of his life here on the earth. This is the, um, uh, the day after Palm Sunday that uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree. It's one day later when they see that it's dried up from the roots. Uh, How do they not know? The question that's implied is, how did this happen? And Jesus explains. Jesus understands their lack of understanding, and so he explains to them so that they will understand. And he said, have faith in God. Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Another translation says, have the faith of God. Or another translation says, have the God kind of faith. Well, the faith of God would be the God kind of faith, wouldn't it? There wouldn't be any other kind of faith God would have except the God kind of faith. And Jesus is not saying, because I'm God, I've got this faith. He's implying that every one of us is supposed to do, or can do at least, has the potential to do the same thing. Have the faith of God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, not because I am the Son of God, I say to to a mountain or a tree, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, But shall believe that those things which he saith, believe that those things which he saith, believe that those things which he saith, believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatever he believes. No, I don't have what he says. Notice it's believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. Now, again, I'm perplexed because the disciples didn't know this. Because they've exercised faith throughout the three years, at least a part of the three years that they've been with Jesus. There's no way they could cast out devils and heal the sick without exercising faith. How do they not know that it works here too? I'll I'll save that question for the Lord and ask him when I get there. But that's one of the most amazing things about this story to me. Now, it would seem that this explanation, the, the information that Jesus gives to the disciples, it would seem that it would change their life radically alter their life from that point forward because if it's something they don't know about and now all of a sudden they find out what would keep it from radically altering their life? But it seems to make no impact on them whatsoever. It seems that Jesus answers and, and the explanation is more for us than for them because they don't change the way they're doing They don't change anything about them. Now, what is it that Jesus explains? What is it that they don't understand? They being the disciples don't understand that Jesus does understand. He understands very simply the power of words. Again, it can't have anything to do with him being the son of God. Because if it was, then he would have said, because I'm the son of God, whenever I speak to a mountain. It obeys me. But instead he said, Have the faith of God. The understood subject is you. You have the God kind of faith. You can have and you can use the same kind of faith, the same type of faith, the same measure of faith that'll be delivered at salvation or that comes to the hearing of the word that God uses Himself. For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, it'll work for anybody. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Now, folks, i got to tell you something. If this will work for anybody, this is not new information. Jesus is not saying, I'm giving you a brand new principle, a brand new rule for the kingdom of God. Here's a new spiritual law that's never been in motion before. I understand why you wouldn't understand, guys, why I'm able to curse the fig tree. Because now here's a new spiritual law. But that's not true. This spiritual law has been around from the beginning. And it's an amazing thing that Israel didn't know it. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe. In his heart. Independent of what things look like or how things feel. But shall believe in his heart. That what he saith. Whatsoever things he saith. Whatsoever things he saith. Whatsoever words he speaks. Shall come to pass. Notice what you're supposed to believe. If you're going to operate in the God kind of faith. Notice what Jesus believed when he operated in the God kind of faith. He believed that his words would come to pass. Yeah, but some people say, and here's where the church gets messed up. The church looks at that and says, well, that was Jesus. Of course it would work for him. Jesus didn't say this will work for me because I'm the son of God. He said, whosoever can make this work. Anybody can make this work. Everybody can make this work. But you got to understand the power of words. That's what they didn't get. That's what so much of the church doesn't seem to get today. That's what so, much, so many word of faith type people don't seem to get today. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say. First thing about faith he mentions is the words you speak. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. A simple explanation of that would be. Shall not speak to the contrary. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith he shall have whatsoever he saith i'm gonna i'm gonna go to some scriptures uh, and i don't really think you're gonna have time to to turn with me on these things and i don't want to take the time for everybody to get there so if you want to take notes and and uh, make a note of these references and and uh, maybe you'll surprise me maybe you can get there in time anyway but uh, but anyway just to let you know i'm going to go pretty pretty quickly through some of these things jesus said in matthew chapter 12 when he was talking to the Pharisees, he was explaining to them certain principles. Beginning in verse thirty-five, he said, "A good man out of the good treasure of the heart." Well, Jesus is talking about believing in the heart in Mark eleven twenty-three. So now he's talking about the heart again. He's speaking of the spirit of man, the, the eternal part of man. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Now the word evil uh, means hurtful; it means contrary. It doesn't mean somebody that's despicable, somebody that's, that's um, uh, a, a Hitler-type person or, or, you know, a murderer or something like that. It means somebody that works to the contrary. In other words, the evil man that he's talking about is somebody that operates contrary to the word of God. Jesus is using this example for the Pharisees that he's talking to. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart. What's the good treasure of the heart? The word of God that you put in your heart. That's what makes you a good man is you choose to live by the word and you put the word in your heart. A good man, a man that chooses to live by the word, in other words, out of the good treasure of the heart, the word that he puts in on the inside of him, the word that he accepts as truth in spite of the uh, contradicting circumstances, brings forth good things. What good things is he talking about? Things that line up with the word. Things that the word says you can have. But an evil man, a contrary man, out of the the, uh, evil treasure of his heart, he's putting anything and everything else in his heart except the word, living by his senses instead of by his uh, walking in the spirit, walking by faith. Out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Now, what evil things or good things is he talking about? Verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word, He hadn't changed subjects, folks. So if he's talking about brings forth good or evil things out of your heart in verse 35, then verse 36, when he's talking about words, words are the things that you bring forth out of your heart, whether they be good or evil. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Verse 37, for by your words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, please notice the principle that Jesus is talking about. He's saying it's your words that make the difference. It's not God's will for your life that makes a difference on what you're going to have or what's going to come forth from you and, and be realized in your heart or in your life. What's going to make the difference is your words. Back in the Old Testament, it tells us a lot about this. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The fruit of what? The fruit of your tongue. What is the fruit of your tongue? Words. Words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Notice it does not say the power of death or life is in the tongue. It does not say the power of life or death is in the tongue. It says the life or death is... Is in the power of the tongue. See, so much, uh, so many times, Christians look at the work of the devil and the power of death that's um, that the devil is holding over them and keeping them in bondage or uh, robbing them of some of the blessings of God in some form or another, and they think, "Oh, the power of death is so strong." Folks, death has no power. The tongue does. Death has no power. The tongue is what has power. Sometimes. Christians look at it and say, well, if only God would cause the power of the life of God in me or his healing power to raise me up. Folks, the life of God is not the power source. The tongue is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Another uh, verse of scripture back in Proverbs as well is verse 21 or chapter 21. Verse 23, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Whoso keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Folks, I got to tell you, if I look back at the biggest trouble I've had in my life, I brought it on myself because of the things that I said. Now, don't get me wrong. I blamed the devil for it every minute of it when it was going on. But the devil wasn't my problem. I was my problem. And until I corrected what I, start, what I was saying, until I corrected the, the principle, the spiritual law of life and death is in the power of the tongue, nothing was going to change for me. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. You can fix a lot of your problems just by saying the right things. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. There is that which speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Another translation, the tongue of the wise speaks only health. So it's saying that your words can either bring piercings to your life or it can make you healthy. Why is that? Because of a spiritual law that God revealed to Israel long, long, long ago. In Numbers chapter 14, when Israel comes to the uh, 12 tribes of Israel come to the edge of the promised land. Moses sends 12 spies, one one spy from each each of the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land told them go see the go spy out the land see what God uh, see the land that God told us about they come back and they bring the fruit of the, the land it's awesome it's better and bigger and um, more fruitful than anything they've ever seen before but 10 of the 12 spies come back with what's called an evil report in scripture now the evil report is something contrary to the word they didn't come back lying They didn't come back speaking vulgarities or telling dirty jokes or anything like that that we might think of as evil. They came back with a report that was contrary to the word of God. Now that's the evil man out of the evil treasury of his heart that Jesus was talking about over in Matthew chapter 12. A man that chooses to speak contrary to God's word because of the circumstances. And so they brought forth an evil report. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. That evil report was the land is everything God said that it was, but we can't take it because there's giants in the land and they're bigger than us, they're stronger than us, and they see us as grasshoppers because that's the way we see ourselves too. Two men, Caleb and Joshua, stood up and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, stop, stop right here. There are giants in the land. There are people that are there. But don't worry about that. Don't be moved by that. God gave us this land. God will see us through. He's on our side. Remember what he did with the Egyptians? How he destroyed the greatest army on the face of the earth. Stick with God. We can do this. Don't rebel against the Lord. We can do this. Now here's two good men out of the good treasure of their hearts. Bringing forth a good report or a good fruit. The fruit is the words that they spoke. The evil report was evil fruit, contrary to the word of God. The good report, the good fruit, was Caleb and Joshua saying, we can do this because God's on our side. Don't worry about how big the walls are. Don't worry about how strong the people look. God's bigger. But all the congregation lifted up their voice that, uh, that night and wept and they cried and said, oh, if only we'd stayed in Egypt. Yeah, because it was so great there. And then they said, oh, if only we could have died in the wilderness. Well, it's not too late for that. And again, Caleb and Joshua try to stop them. Look, don't do this. Don't rebel against God. Turn back. Let's do what God said. Stick with the word. But in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, uh, well, maybe we ought to back up into verse 26. The Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Now think about God's position. God's brought them out of Egypt with signs and wonders and miracles. He's destroyed the Egyptian army that came in to to wipe them out. Parted the Red Sea for them. He's brought water from the rock. He's provided for them in the wilderness. Done all kinds of things for them. And now God says, how long shall I put up with this evil congregation? Why are they an evil congregation? Because they won't accept what God said to be true. They're operating contrary to the word of God because of the circumstances. Folks, you need to understand God sees evil, good and evil, a whole lot different than the church does. A lot of what the church considers to be good works are evil in the sight of God because it's contrary to his word. So God said, how long shall I put up with this evil congregation? Verse 28, say unto them, tell them, Moses, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so shall I do to you. Now, the phrase as truly as I live is one of those things in the Bible where we just kind of read over casually and we think, well, all right, that, that just means God saying this is the truth. And boy, you better listen to this. But that's not what it means. How true is it that God lives? There's nothing that's more true than that. How does God live eternally? What is he saying? He's saying here's an eternal unchanging law. Now did this law start at that point in time? No this has been the law all along. This has been the spiritual law that governs the world. This is the spiritual law that governs mankind. Then and now as you have spoken in my ears so shall I do unto you. Now let's explain why that is. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. This is Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Genesis 1, 1.2 says, and the earth was, literally became without form and void. God didn't create it without form and void. It became without form and void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. And the spirit of the Lord moved upon the waters. Now, what took place here? We know that, um, that God created the, the, uh, the earth. What we know of as the universe, the stars, the heavens uh meaning our atmosphere in six days. It says in verse one of Genesis one that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the heavens and the earth, the heavens that is speaking about in verse one is a different heaven than what he made later on in the um, uh, in the six days of creation. Now it's hard for me to, to wrap my head around this, but but bear with me for a minute. Try to stay with me if you can. What existed when God made it? It's hard for me to imagine. Because God has no beginning. What would we consider the beginning to be for God. When there was just God. That's all I can come up with. When there was just God. Well where is God living. Well he's just God. God doesn't live anywhere. Until he makes a place for himself. It wasn't like. God was born into heaven. God didn't have a father. He didn't have a mother. There is no beginning. There is no end of him. So somewhere. some Uh, And, of course, this doesn't compute because there is no time with God. But in our thinking, in my linear thinking, there has to be at least one second where God was alone and then he made something else. Now, please realize, I know I'm wrong, but you get the point I'm trying to make. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What did God make for himself at whatever point in time, however, whenever? What did God make for himself? He made himself a spiritual realm. There could not have been a spirit realm before God, so there had to be a spirit realm after God. That makes sense, doesn't it? Now, again, I don't understand how this would work, but that has to be the truth. If God is just part of a spirit realm, and the spirit realm is as eternal as God, then God can't be the beginning of all things. Have I lost you completely? You do understand what I'm trying to say, don't you? Now, I understand that I'm, my thinking's flawed. I, I get that. I'm, I'm limited. There's no way I could understand this, no way any of us could. But in my thinking, I have to come up with at least that much logic. How did God create the spirit realm? Well, God created the spirit realm the same way he created the natural realm. He spoke. John said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, in the beginning, whatever the beginning is, there was nothing but God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then God made things. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3, we understand by faith that God created the worlds. He framed the worlds from the word of God. In other words, everything that God made, the spirit realm, whatever there is in heaven and what we would know of as heaven, which is different from the heavens that are spoken of in the six days of creation. That means the atmosphere. In the heaven... That God lives. He created that. He created the realm for himself. By his word. Right? So what rules in the spirit realm? God's word. He created a spirit realm. Designed. To be ruled by his word. Then. He creates the earth. He creates the universe. He creates the atmosphere. He creates all the stuff that's here on the earth. Plant life. Animal life. And everything else. And then he puts man in the middle of it. How did he create the natural realm? He created the natural realm with his word. Now, if God's word is supposed to rule in the spirit realm, what's supposed to rule in the natural realm? Man's word. That's why he creates man and puts him in the middle of everything and says, I give you dominion. How is man supposed to exercise dominion? The same way God exercises dominion in the spirit realm. This natural realm, because God, if if you look at the the creation, if we took time to look at each of the six days of creation, you'll find out that the thing that keeps recurring over and over again is that everything produces after its own kind. God produced man, a spirit being, after his own kind. To what end? We think of reproducing, we think of the the work of man to reproduce as a physical work, a physical action, because God said replenish the earth. But God created man to have dominion, not just to have sex. Not just to repopulate. He made man to have dominion. And so reproducing natural children is only part of man exercising his dominion. So how is man supposed to exercise his dominion here on the earth? Through his words. How did man disobey God? With his mouth. He ate of the tree that he was commanded not to eat of. So if God created man's mouth to be the source of his dominion. Then man's words were designed to create to uh, were created and designed this natural realm. I'm sorry. This natural realm was created and designed to be ruled by man's words. And as we speak, we are to reproduce after our own kind. Why? Because that's how God created everything to begin with. So when God brings about the law of Moses. Moses. Now he's back in position to where he can tell the people who he is and what he'll do for them. Now he reinstitutes. Well, that's a bad way to say it. He reminds them it had the, the spiritual law has never has never changed. But he reminds the people. Here's how the laws of the spirit work. Here's how man's exor- exercises of dominion takes place. I will deal with you according to what you've spoken in mine ears. In other words, I'll judge you by your words. That's what Jesus is saying in Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. By your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. One translation says, by your words, you'll be saved. By your words, you'll be condemned. Another translation says, by your words, you'll be delivered. And by your words, you'll be in bondage. Man's words are his source of power. Man's words are his source of power. Now turn with me over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, let's start reading. Let me, let me turn in my Bible here too because I want to read from another translation on this. Let me read first from the King James. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. And if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth or turneth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. And let me read this to you from the Amplified. Uh, let me start in verse 2. For we often stumble and offend in many things. And if any does not offend in speech, never says the wrong things. He's a fully developed character and a perfect man, able to control his whole body and to curb his entire nature. See, folks, where it talks about in many things we offend, all that word offend literally means stumble. In other words, James is saying, look, we all mess up with the things that we say. He's not talking about me offending you. He's talking about me offending God. He's talking about me messing up with the things that I say and bringing on the curse. Because I'm not operating according to spiritual law. But he says the man that's able to control his tongue, in other words, never say the wrong thing. He's a perfect man. Now, have you noticed in the in the uh, well, it's really just been in the last uh, well, almost 30 years now, I guess. But beginning in the 80s, there was, uh, and and it still continues today. It's it's not as uh, people have, uh, um, it doesn't get as much press now as it used to. The 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 attack is is not as uh, up front as it used to be. But beginning in the 80s. The the so called word of faith movement, Brother Hagan always hated that term, and I don't like it either. Uh, there is no word of faith movement. There's just the Bible, and if the, the Bible's preached, it produces faith. There is no faith movement. Faith's not a movement, it's the result of hearing the word of God. So to say that it's a movement says that there's just one select group or one group that thinks they've got, got something that nobody else has. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus said in himself, the Holy Ghost tells us, that where the word is preached, Faith is the result. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So anybody that doesn't have, the, doesn't have faith isn't hearing the word. Or at least isn't accepting what they're hearing. So beginning in the 80s, the early part of the 80s, uh, there was a real attack against this word faith movement. And people were talking about cults and Kenyan and, and um, you know, um, spiritism and, and all this kind of stuff. And it all came down to one thing. It's the same thing then as it is now. The, con- the the concern people have about the the so-called word of faith preaching, uh, uh, the those of us that believe the word and 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 preach what Paul called the word of faith, uh, it's all it's always come down to one thing. You know what that one thing is? It's a confession. See, the devil didn't care what you believe. He didn't care if you believed the truth. He cares what you say. Because men are saved by what they hear, believe, and speak. Not just what they believe. And so where is, the, where is the place that the devil always attacks you? The devil always tells you you don't have enough faith. In other words, he tries to tell you your believing's wrong. You ever had the devil tell you your confession is wrong? You ever had the devil tell you you're not saying the right thing? No, and you know why he never has done that? Because he doesn't want to draw your attention to it so you can change what you're saying. But he'll always attack what you believe. Because it doesn't matter. On a a scale. You can believe the right thing. And that won't get you the result. Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said. Dost thou believe. That there is a God. The devils believe that. See I could believe. If I was a farmer. I could believe in farming. But that won't grow me a crop. I've got to plant something. I could believe in, in growing wheat. I could believe in growing corn. I could believe in growing anything out there. I could say my family's been in farming business all their lives. My granddaddy believed in farming. My daddy believes in farming. And I believe in farming. Well, believing in farming doesn't make you a crop. Planting seed and growing it makes you a crop. That's the way it works spiritually. It's not just what you believe. Believing is important. Because believing should be the source of what you say. But believing the right thing alone won't get the job done. So the devil never attacks you on your confession. Oh, he might bring a thought to you, you said the wrong thing and and so forth. But you know as well as I do that you can repent for messing up and it's it's done. It's gone away. It's wiped away. That's not something that will hold against you or keep your your promise from coming. But it will always attack you on what you believe. That's the way the devil has always attacked faith in God's word. He attacks it based on belief. I'm sorry, he attacks the confession part, not the believing part and that's where the that's where the so-called word of faith group has gained all or has endured all of their criticism and all of the persecution and all the other stuff it's all about what you say what what do they use as a as a, a criticism tag for us all well, that name it and claim it group but what do they care what we claim the devil cares because he knows that according to that god will do with us Deal with us according to what we've spoken in his ears. That's the spiritual law. And that's the spiritual law that Jesus is explaining to the disciples in Mark chapter 11. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith." Now, folks, this is not the first time they've heard this story. This is not the first time they've seen this or had the opportunity to learn this lesson. Let me prove it to you. Turn with me over to, well, wait a minute. Wait, I'm I'm trying to get away from this too quick. I forgot we need to finish in James chapter 3. Let me go back to verse 2. For we often stumble and fall and offend in many things. And if anyone does not offend in speech, meaning never says the wrong things, he is a fully developed character and a perfect man. Notice what makes you perfect in the eyes of God. The words you say. Notice God doesn't say you're perfect when you learn everything. See, so many Christians are trying to learn everything. Folks concentrate and focus on what you say, not just what you've learned. Because the more you say and speak in line with the word of God, the more you'll learn. If any man does not offend or say the wrong things, he is a fully developed character and a perfect man, able to control his whole body and to curb his entire nature. Do you realize what the key to controlling sin, dealing with temptation effectively is? The words you speak. Verse 3, if we set bits in the horse's mouths to make them obey us, we can turn their whole bodies around. James is using the example, a natural illustration that everybody should understand. No man has the strength that a horse does. So how are we going to, to control and dominate a horse? We put something in his mouth, a small thing in his mouth, that that thing in his mouth is able to turn him around and make him go wherever you want him to go and stop when you want him to stop and so forth. In other words... The horse's body, stronger than any man, is controlled by the man's use of the horse's tongue or mouth. He uses another example. Likewise, verse 4, look at ships. Though they are so great and are driven by rough winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever wherever the impulse of the helmsman determines. It doesn't matter how big a ship is, they've all got a rudder. And the rudder is tiny, tiny, tiny in comparison to the rest of the ship, the size of the rest of the ship. But that rudder will determine where it goes. That rudder will determine the course of that ship's direction. It's saying the same thing about the tongue. It's using these as examples for the tongue. The tongue sets the direction for a man's life. Whether it be good results or bad results. Verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and it can boast of great things. See how much wood or how great a forest a tiny spark can set ablaze. And the tongue is a fire a world of wickedness set among our members, contaminating and depraving the whole body and setting on fire the wheel of birth, the cycle of man's nature. Now, I want you to get that phrase. The cycle of man's nature. Again, I'm reading from the Amplified. The tongue is a fire, a world of wickedness set among our members, contaminating and depraving the whole body and setting on fire the wheel of birth, the cycle of man's nature, being ignited by hell, being itself ignited by hell. You know what this means, the cycle of man's nature? Look at everything in the in the, the world that identifies that God is a good and a repairer. You cut your hand, what happens? It heals. There is healing built into the human body. Well, you know as well as I do that if you go for insurance, uh, to buy uh, an insurance policy, medical insurance, life insurance, whatever, they've got a whole list of medical history questions. They've got a whole list of questions. They want to know, what was your family history? Did your mother and daddy die of... Of uh, lung disease or cancer or whatever else. They have heart disease. They want to know your family history. You know why? Because that's the cycle of man's nature. There is a genetic disposition. That all men and women. All people on the earth have. That is very often reflected in their family history. Now the Bible says. Uh, well let me, let me back up. We know that God didn't create man. To be subject to sickness. That came as a result of the fall. In the Garden of Eden. Right? Then what was God's original plan for the cycle of man's nature? For everybody to be healthy. What changed that? Very simply, the use of man's mouth. Now, what did man lose? Well, apparently, man lost the understanding of how spiritual laws operate. Man lost the understanding that his words govern his life. Because from that point forward, man began to speak contrary to what God's word says. Speak contrary according to, to what God says we should have or can have. That same thing is true today. You've got people saying words that are contrary to God's laws of healing, God's laws of blessing, God's laws of provision, and so forth. Instead of saying, and because we, as a result of understanding that our words carry power... People don't even think about what they're saying. They'll just say whatever they feel. If you knew that your financial situation was from this moment forever going to be governed by the words you speak, how many times would you say you were broke? If you knew that every time you said the word broke or don't have enough or used some phrase that showed lack, If you believe that that would cause you to experience lack, what would you say? But see, that's the spiritual law. That's what James is trying to say. It's saying that the tongue, because man lost his place with God, he lost his place of right standing with God. Therefore, his tongue was set on fire by the course of hell. And it was designed by the devil. It's been perverted by the devil to change the course of man's life as destined and determined by God. That's why there's such a temptation, there's such a tendency for man to speak contrary to what God's word says. You ever been in a situation where you just thought you were going to bust if you didn't tell somebody how bad you felt? Somehow or another we think that's going to make us feel better and it never does. Well, why is there such a temptation to say that? Because the devil's trying to use our tongue to set on fire the cycle of our nature. Everything about this earth is designed to repair. You remember the, um, the oil spill thing that happened several years ago? The big oil spill out in the Gulf. And everybody was talking about what devastation and, and everything that was going to do to, the, to the, um, uh, the, the Gulf and the, uh, the um, tourism and all that other kind of stuff. Well, lo and behold, it didn't take a year. And they found out that there was some oil-eating bacteria in the ocean. It cleaned itself. It was supposed to be the end of the world. And it wasn't because the earth is designed to fix itself. God created everything to regenerate. Well what keeps that regeneration or that blessing or that blessing. That, that goodness of God from working in our lives. Our tongues. The words we speak. But as I said before this is not the first time Jesus tried to teach this lesson. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, Jesus has just told the, the story, the parable of the sower sowing the word. Explained it to the disciples, what you believe, what you hear affects your life. That's intended to be the case because what you hear should affect what you say. And let's start in verse 35. And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, let us pass over to the other side. Notice what Jesus said. Let's go to the other side. Now stop right there for a second. Let me talk to you. Why is Jesus wanting to go to the other side? Do you think there's a better view from that side of the lake? Is there a special fish restaurant he wants to go to that's over there? Why is he going to the other side? We have to conclude that Jesus determined some way or another, whether by divine revelation, whether it's his own wisdom in walking with God, whatever the case is, whatever the, the reason was, we have to conclude that Jesus determined that God wanted him on the other side of the lake. Jesus said himself that everything that he did, he did at the will of the Father. So he has to conclude for, for some reason, maybe unknown to us, but not unknown to him. He had to conclude that God wanted him on the other side of the lake, right? It's the will of God for him to make it to the other side of the lake. I want to ingrain that, that, that reality into your thinking for a minute. God wants him on the other side. So what does Jesus say? Let's go to the other side. Now What happens? And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships, verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the, the hinder, the back part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Can I ask you a question? What does their lack of faith have to do with the storm that they thought was going to kill them? Did their lack of faith cause a storm? This great storm of wind, these words that are used in the Greek literally mean megastorm. Megastorm of wind. We might call it wind shear. And there arose a great storm of wind, a megastorm. Now, why is the storm there? Well, we know the storm's not the will of God, because God's will has already been determined through our analysis, has already been determined for Jesus to make it to the other side. The storm is a hindrance to him getting to the other side. At least that's the way the disciples said. Right? So why does Jesus rebuke the storm. Calm the, the sea. And then says. Why are you so fearful? Have you no faith? What does their faith have to do with anything? Folks their faith has to do with one and only one thing. And that is. Jesus has already said. Let's go to the other side. He did not say. Let's get out in the middle and drown. He's already said, let us pass over to the other side. Why? Because it's the will of God for them to go. He expects them to understand that his goal, the end result of this trip is the other side. So anything that comes up to hinder that success of getting to the other side, anybody should be able, in in Jesus thinking, anybody should be able to stand up and rebuke the sea and calm the, or rebuke the wind and calm the sea. And they missed the whole point. Because notice what they did. Jesus says, where have you no faith? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know what Jesus is trying to show them? The wind and the sea would have obeyed them. They could have done exactly the same thing he did. But they miss the point. They start looking at, the, at Jesus. They're doing exactly what the modern day church does today. They look and say oh Jesus he's the son of God. The wind and the sea obey him. Jesus is very clearly saying. How is it that you have no faith. Why didn't you do this. Now why don't Peter. At least Peter. I mean he's always asking questions. Why didn't Peter say whoa whoa whoa. Whoa whoa, whoa stop right here. What in the world do you mean. If he had done that, Jesus would have said, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. That's exactly what Jesus did when he cursed the fig tree and explained to them why he cursed it. He cursed it because it was a hindering obstacle. What is the wind, the storm of wind? It's a hindering obstacle. So what did Jesus do? He cursed the storm. He commanded it to cease. Now there's no drying up from the roots on a storm. He just commanded it to stop. Why? Because the natural realm was, was designed, created to be governed by man's words. That is the whole point that Jesus understood that the disciples never did get until after he was raised from the dead. Totally missed it. So by the time we get to the last week of Jesus' life, Jesus curses a fig tree, and Peter says, whoa, look, Jesus, this tree that you cursed yesterday is dead. Jesus is saying, yeah, have faith in God. You know that thing I've been talking to you about since we first started walking together? Having faith? Here's how it works. One more time, here's how it works. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, don't let the waves and the wind make you think that it won't work. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, let me let me give you an example, we'll close with this. Let me give you an example. If you're riding down the road, you're driving down the road. And you're, you're perhaps you're on a long stretch, long straightaway. And you, maybe it's a boulevard where there's traffic coming in from the sides and side streets and stuff like that. You're heading down the road at 55 miles an hour. You see a couple of blocks down the road, somebody come out from the side and cross the road. Maybe they come out and they're going to turn and come back the opposite way of where you're headed. And they're sitting in your side of the Of the road. They're two blocks away. But they're sitting in the middle of your lane. Do you jam on your brakes? Of course not. If you do. Cars behind you are going to pile into you. And you're going to cause a wreck yourself. Why don't you put on your brakes. When you see them. Because you have enough experience in driving. To be able to calculate. The computer that is your mind. Your brain. Calculates. They'll be gone by the time I get there. They're moving at such and such a speed. There's a place an opening for them to be able to turn into the flow of traffic. They'll be gone before I get there. So you never even take your foot off the gas pedal. Right? You know how people drive spiritually? They're jamming on the brakes every time something appears in their way. And they're screaming, oh, my God, we're going to die. When Jesus said, whosoever shall say... Under this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he says. You speak to the mountain. And by the time you get to the mountain. It will either be gone. If that's what you said. Or there will be a road over it. Or there will be a tunnel through it. Because if you're walking in line with the word of God, meaning God's will for you, you're in exactly the same position Jesus was when he said, let's go to the other side. It doesn't matter what the devil throws in the middle of the journey. It doesn't matter what he raises up. It doesn't matter what comes along. You have a right because of the dominion that God has given you and the dominion that Jesus reclaimed through his resurrection. You have a right for your words to come to pass. Folks, I would really recommend that you start meditating on that. I would recommend that you start saying, my words come to pass. According to the word of God, my words come to pass. I've been given dominion here on the earth to carry out the will of God, so my words come to pass. Don't just look at it like God's words come to pass. That's true. And whenever you say God's words, speak God's words, then you have extra power there. But your words come to pass. Jesus did not speak the word of God when he said, no man eat fruit of the tree hereafter forever. He said what he desired to be the result. There's a lot of things in life that God leaves to you as, his, as, your, as you being his partner to carry out his will and his plan and his purpose here on the earth. So you better get con, con, uh, confident. You better become convinced that your words carry power because that's the unchanging spiritual law. God deals with us according to the words that we speak in his ear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that we have been given power and dominion here on the earth. The same dominion you gave to man has been reclaimed by Jesus through his sacrifice and his resurrection. Thank you, Father, that Jesus declared to us that all power was given unto him in heaven and earth. And then he delegated that authority unto us to be exercised according to your plan and your purpose. Thank you, Father, that as we put your word into our heart, we establish our our heart's By putting your word into it. And meditating in your word. We thank you Father. That those words that we speak. Always. 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 Come to pass. In Jesus precious name. Amen.